This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. AJ Ganusi. Welcome to Better Reading. Would you like me to call you AJ or would you like me to call you Adam? Um, AJ's fine. AJ's fine. Okay, let's do it. So AJ is in Texas. Tell me where. I'm in uh, College Station. It's um, just a little between Houston and some other place that exists in Texas. Um, it's it's officially nowhere. No. Um, but we're, we're near Texas A&M University. There's not a lot else around there. Okay. Well, I think that that's really fun and exotic. And one of the um, things, the benefits, I think, of the pandemic is that we now get access to so many people like yourself. Whereas in the past, we only recorded podcasts in our office. Mm. The miracle of a pandemic and the miracle of Zoom has changed our lives. So we get to talk to wonderful people like yourself. Let me introduce you. AJ is a native of New Orleans. He received an MFA in fiction from UNC Wilmington and was a 2018 Kenyan Review Summer Workshop Peter Taylor Fellow. That's a long one. His short stories have been published widely, including the Los Angeles Review and the Wisconsin Review. AJ's debut novel, Girl in the Walls, I mean sensational, is a clever gothic tale about an 11-year-old girl who loses both parents and returns to her family home to live in the walls after a new family has moved in. I mean, I've got goosebumps now just describing it. It has everyone talking and it really does. Do you know, usually the word gothic, I run a mile. It's just not a genre that I read. This isn't that at all, is it? Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because when I was writing the story, I had no concept of genre in my head at all. Um, I do feel that like I'm drawn to, you know, romantic stories um, from the 19th century. I love Dickens. I love Jane Eyre. Um, but in terms of this story, I felt like it was very much just what it was. And um, uh, the idea of it being gothic kind of came almost a year after I'd, I'd written it. And then I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I do check a lot of those boxes in here, don't I? Mm, you absolutely do. So how does a young person like yourself write a sensational first novel? I think we need to go back to where you grew up and where your love of writing started. So take me right back. So where did you grow up? I know you grew up in New Orleans, but what was your community like? And were you a great reader? I was a huge reader. My my whole family is just a family of readers. It was really wonderful growing up in that family because if you were off reading somewhere, just kind of tucked away or going off in the woods, you you were getting good work done. It's pretty wonderful to to have a family that respects it as much uh, as they do. And the house we grew up in is is you know very reminiscent of of the fictional house and, and girl on the walls. It's technically New Orleans. It's as weird as, as you could be for being in an inner city. It's it's kind of like a neighborhood we lived in was this rural area that's kind of tucked away to the side. It's this weird peninsula that sticks out. It's right on the levee. Um, the Mississippi River is right across the street from us, um, and it was this very old 
creaky house um, in the middle of the woods that was kind of pieced together and, and renovated over time and um, uh, had all sorts of different kind of owners playing into it and, and trying to, to leave their imprint on it. And it made for, you know, just a very fascinating house. It had part of a bishop's house involved with it. It had um, some um, materials from an old plantation worked into it. Um, and a lot of what we did growing up, which was doing our own projects and trying to make the house our own. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was wonderful. And just to be able to go out in, in the woods behind the house and then walk along the, the Mississippi River and then go back to this this really strange house. We were always hearing noises um, from the, the river boats going along. So uh, you'd hear cruises, um, their music would just kind of like weave through the rooms at re- strange times. The, there's just this weird, these weird acoustics that happen um, with a levee where if someone's just having a conversation, maybe, you know, a mile down the road, those sounds will travel and they'll sound sometimes like they're coming from inside your house. So mm-hmm. you can hear this conversation as though it's just amplified there. It's interesting you talk about that, but how formative your home environment is. We often talk about how formative your location is, sense of place, um, but it's not usually the physical structure of the home, is it? It's right. Yeah, it's mm. it's quite strange that, you know, usually think of these kind of interconnected communities and we absolutely had that, but it was such a strange house that, you know, even my childhood friends would always want to go over and just go like, your house is insane and it's weird and I, and I love it and I'm frightened of it and I don't always want to go there. So you were at school, primary school, and were you, as a young man, were you thinking, you know, one day I want to grow up to be a writer? Well, that had Absolutely not. No, no. no. I, I still don't believe it. I'm very suspicious. I'm, I'm in fact, um, I don't know if some of it has to do with the pandemic happening, but I expect at any minute someone's going to come in and just say that all of this is a dream. It's it's absolutely not real. Uh, this was my first time trying to attempt a novel. Uh, until that point, I've only written short fiction and extremely short fiction at that, uh, flash fiction, so under 500 words, just a couple pages. This was my first go at a novel. I wrote it while I was in graduate school, and um, my instructor at the time, Nina de Gramont, a uh, brilliant novelist, um, she made all of us who were in this novel writing class just say what our wildest dreams were for the project we were about to begin, kind of delve into. And I said at the time, and I meant it, I just want a book that has a beginning, a middle, and the end that I'm able to complete and that one person reads and enjoys. I would have been over the moon just knowing that. I was terrified of doing this really long-form project when when you're only writing, you know, two-page short stories um, and those seeming really long when you're working on them. Uh, the idea of doing something that long and then someone devoting their time to reading this book and enjoying it, like it, it that alone seems uh, more than you can believe. I always think short stories, because I'm a huge lover of short stories, and I always think that they must be harder to write because you're saying so much with so few <laughs> words, you know, and very often they have a beginning, a middle and an end. And I think, whoa, they're snapshots. And I feel that that is a completely and entirely different skill to writing long form as well. I agree. I think, I don't necessarily think they're harder. I think there's a lot of short story writers that will say they're harder. Um, I, I will say that I think they're very, very different. There's that level of stamina you need for a novel, which is just incredible. And that, that faith you need to just constantly go day after day and then just believe that it will get finished and it'll be complete and you'll be able to make something that's beautiful, hopefully. Mm. Um, there's a certain point when writing this novel that I felt like I really had to give in to like a level of faith, as weird as that word is, because I felt like what was happening in the book was bigger than my head. I was walking around saying it's bigger than my head at this point. I can't keep everything going on in it 
in my head at any given time. It's larger than me. So I really have to just work in, on it in sections and just kind of believe that the other stuff is working. I love that. Do you know, no one's ever described it to me like that. And I've recorded over 300 podcasts wow. with writers, right? A lot of people have often said to me, it goes beyond my control. The, the characters start doing things and I just mm -hmm. thought I, I didn't know we were going to go down that track or we didn't we were going to go down this track or whatever. I've heard that a lot at writers, but I haven't heard that where it's bigger than my head and then I have to yeah. section it off. And I quite like it because I'm not a writer, but in daily life sometimes I get overwhelmed with the amount of work mm. that I have to do and the amount of whatever it is that you have to do, go and see your mum, you know, run a business, blah, blah, blah. And the only way I can manage sometimes when I get up in the morning is I think just think about it in chunks. Mm -hmm. And that's what you've just done with writing. Yeah, I think it's it's the only way to cope with it. And it's, it is wonderful to kind of think of, you know, dealing with life in that way as well, where if you, the second you start trying to expand, you know, your, your perspective, I, I feel, think you're probably going to get pretty miserable. You're not going to enjoy it. And we always talk about, us authors always talk about the struggle where, you know, some days you love the book, some days you can't stand it. But I do wonder how much of that's just a level of perspective, because obviously all of us love working with sentences. We love working with these, these you know, very minute, very um, uh, restricted sentences, phrases, pages. Um, and I think we, we tend to get most worried when our perspective maybe gets a little bit too big. And we try mm. to... mm, I like that. So growing up, tell me what kind of what you were reading, what you remember you're reading as a child. What's interesting is I felt like I never really thought I would be, you know, professional writer. That's that's just beyond incredible. I did like writing a lot. I, I did grow up really loving fantasy books, really getting my toes wet into some things that looked like horror a bit. I just love this idea of worlds that kind of open up and expand that are constantly growing. And the idea that like you could just like an Alice in the Wonderland setup where you could just fall down a hole and then this just place completely open up. So with Corona Walls, you know, later when I'm, when I'm just saying like, I want to my, commit myself to this huge project, I wanted to make sure that was a big part of it, where there was this idea of this constantly opening up, this, this idea of like coming to face the unknown and all the feelings that come with that, whether it's fear, because you, you don't know what's going on, or whether it's, you know, mystery, whether it's wonder, this just kind of, you know, really intense, sublime is a really strong word, but it's something pointing towards that direction. In terms of like specific books, like my adolescence, I was starting to get a lot into to Stephen King, even though I couldn't stand it. I loved the books, but they were so scary. And like, I have a hard time with horror in general. I, I, I think... You know, at its worst, it can be kind of a little frigid and people seem to be brought in just to um, get killed. And that's that's not fun to me. Do you know, um, um, I have never finished a Stephen King book because of absolute sheer fear. And then I tried to watch a movie. I can't remember what it was with the two girls down the hallway. I can't remember. Which oh, one. The Shining. The Shining. Oh, right. oh, with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolute. I had to turn it off. And I think... I was with people, but had I not been with friends, I think I would have locked myself in the room. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't blame you. That, book, that, that movie is horrifying. The book's horrifying as well. Uh, yeah. And I don't, what, what always kind of astounds me um, are the people that are so able to just binge them and, and, or really who are able to watch them. And then the horror ends when the movie ends. I, I always kind of look at them and wonder, I have a number of friends that do that. I'm like, how are you not frightened for months? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still frightened by some of the Stephen King books I read when I was 12. 
I'm also, I'm a really good person in terms of it is in the moment. Like if I'm watching a film or if I'm reading the book, and even though it's my business to make comment and to review, but I'm not checking Mm -hmm. grammar, I'm not checking structure, I'm not checking where the boom is in a movie, I am absolutely, completely, I've bought it. I've bought it. I'm in it Mm -hmm. hook, line and sinker and I go with it. So therefore you know, horror just scares the living daylights out of me because I can't pull back and say, oh, yes, the camera's here and, the, and it's only an actor and mm-hmm. no. And the same in a book. I can't do it you, because mm-hmm. I've, I've bored into it. So. <laughs> I try to pull back, but it's, yeah. It's an immaturity, I, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I th- I, well, it means you're, you know, a very sensitive reader who's really invested in the story. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of best But, you know, it's really um, all that you've told me about the house, about your reading, about growing up, it's all in the book, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I definitely, it's it's a different layout, but there's there's a lot of different yeah. things that just kind of inspired it and a lot of fears I had of the weird bumps in the night, the weird sounds where, where your imagination comes, runs a little wild. And uh, my mom has read it uh, since then, and she was a little frustrated because she says, Adam, because they still live in that house. My mom was like, my, you know, we still oh. have to, I read this book and I have to continue to live in this this house after this book. I love it. I love yeah. you, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So then you went on. And at what point did you think you were going to be a writer? What point did you think I'm going to start doing this more seriously? So it was actually high school. Um, I went to a school that was an art school and it was an intense and invested creative writing class where we'd actually stay there after school um, several days a week. And it was, I love that intensity. I love the, the, the feeling of devoting yourself to the art that seriously and just, you know, kind of wearing that mantle saying like, I'm a writer and I, I write, I work on this. It's, it's not necessarily like, uh, you know, a feather in my cap, I can shut around and say, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I, I write things. It's, it's really just, it's a craft. It's something you do. It's so doing that through, through high school and, and really getting invested in the community and learning a lot about it, New Orleans, um, doing that through college. I went to college and, and, uh, Loyola and I ran a reading series there. And, um, I took a few years off where, um, I was working a variety of different jobs, but it was the kind of thing that gave my life, not value, but focus, you know, it was the, it was the kind of through line where it was my, my, my thinking was, you know, I might've had a rough day bussing tables or, or whatever, but I go back and I focus and I, um, get better at writing work. That's, that's kind of an ambiguous thing. And it's practice, isn't it? Right. It's Yeah. And at the very least, you can make your stories better. Like, who knows if you're getting better as a writer, but the story's getting better, which is wonderful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think a lot of people have this view of writing because we can all put words on paper or words in an email or whatever that everybody can write. But people mm-hmm. often forget about the craft of writing. You know, it's right. a it's a learned craft, you know, it's, it's really complex. I can read something and know exactly what's mm-hmm. wrong with it, but mm-hmm. I, there's no in the world I'd be able to fix it. I wouldn't know where to start because that's not I, my skill set. I think you're being modest, but sure. <laughs> oh, no, 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 seriously, it's not my skill set. You know, you guys have editors too. You work at it for a very long time. It's true, yeah. And I, I, you think about the cumulative hours spent on even just one project, um, I think, for a girl in the walls, it actually went pretty quickly, surprisingly. It only took about two years to draft it, uh, which is quick, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think, oh, well, I guess I've been seriously working on writing for 12 years before then. So, <laughs> okay, I get it. Uh, yeah. When did the idea come into your head? Okay, so this originated from a short story I'd worked on in, in 2013. And the short story originated from a conversation I had from uh, an old friend of mine, we were just driving around uptown New Orleans, um, and if, if you haven't been there, it's they have these beautiful live oaks that just hang over all the roads. It's just it's this gorgeous. We were going down St. Charles Avenue, yeah. um, and uh, he was telling me he was living alone at the time, and he was telling me about how he was getting really anxious um, because he'd been looking up all these videos of people living in houses, like these really these grainy YouTube videos of home cameras where they'd just be sitting there uh, for a prolonged period of time and then someone would come out of a cupboard or just someone would cross across, um, you know, the frame um, and it would have night vision. So they'd all, you know, just be kind of really distorted figures and, and you'd see them sifting through food and pantries and it's horrifying. And, and he would hear all these noises that houses make in New Orleans all the houses are old and they make a lot of noises and he'd wake up in the middle of the night and, and he'd be, you know, sure that someone was there. Didn't know who it was, but it was really getting to him and hearing him talk about that. It was the most, it was, it was scary, but it was also the most freeing thing to hear him talk about that. Cause it was like, Oh my gosh, that was my childhood. And I still have those, those thoughts. It's just kind of feeling you walk, you go through your everyday life. You don't think these kind of things, but then all it takes is just this one noise where you're like, that sounds like someone in the closet. And then you're just, your mind kind of expands and and the whole house expands and it suddenly becomes this really strange, unknowable thing um, that you're supposed to, it's your house. You're supposed to know this place better than anywhere. You're supposed to be safe here. You're supposed to be comfortable here. And yet it's, it's always a little bit unknowable because all it takes are, are these really strange small moments. So hearing him talk about that, I wanted to write a story, not just about, Oh, this, this creepy idea of people living in the house, but the sense of community people can have by sharing these experiences and then kind of by turning it on the head on on the whole narrative on its head as well, because there's something really curious. Let's say, you know, actually it's in the news all the time. Like um, these really strange stories of uh, well, like an ex-boyfriend living in an addict's place um, or, or just of, you know, a vagrant who comes in and out. Um, But these are people who are in need. It's not a comfortable thing to like go and hide in someone else's house. It's a strange thing to do. And and these are fascinating people. And I think that's a story that's really interesting to me. One issue I have with horror in its, its worst form, because obviously there's beautiful and there's literary horror everywhere is this idea of the, the kind of how we don't, we fail to extend empathy to these, these, these monsters. When, if you look through all your horror tropes, and you look at um, all your different horror creatures, they tend to be creatures that 
look like they're in great need. There's this weird thing where we turn what appears to be in its greatest need into something that's frightening, whether it's something that looks hungry, starved, that's, that looks like it's in need of medical attention. Look, ghosts just look really sad and grieving. They, they're mourning something. And you mentioned The Shining with the, the two little girls, which are the most terrifying thing to me in growing up, like little girls, that, that's so scary, but they're little girls, that's not scary. And yet we make it scary. Um, so I was interested in, in taking this, this kind of idea and then exploring it from the opposite direction where what if you had a little girl living in the house, but she's not scary. She's a girl in need. She's someone who's grieving. She's there because she needs to be there. She doesn't necessarily always want to be there because she's a person and we have these kind of conflicted feelings about a lot of things. But why does she want to be there? And, and what would it be like to live so closely with her that you end up rooting for her to stay hidden or to be safe or, or to not be found? AJ, I'm, I'm thinking while you're speaking, I'm thinking of two books that had a real profound effect on me. Um, and, you know, I've read a lot. And they were both the books were books that I felt that weren't my genre. Um, mm -hmm. but I ended up, like yours, uh, that I ended up reading and devouring. And they're both books that have lived on for a very long time. The first one is Alice Seabold, Lovely Vine. Right. right. Have you read yeah. it? I have read it, yeah. And oh. I, I think there are some really nice echoes um, between our two books, this this idea of this girl that you're, you, you care a lot more uh, for. She's been through an incredible amount, and she's a little creepy. I mean, she's, she's a kind of a ghost presence, but... At the same time, this is, I, I think there is this, this really wonderful move in this book to, uh, in The Lovely Bones, as well as Girl on the Walls, to push against the idea of, you know, these standard tropes being what's really scary. Let's get to know what this, this, this child, this, this person, this person who's mourning and longing is like and why, why they're yeah. doing what they and, are. And the thing I think that they have in common, it, you were saying that you're rooting for her or, you, you, you know, you're on her side, but also they're telling us all the time they're okay. That's right. Yeah. And they are. I mean, they're incredibly capable despite their age and despite what they've been through. Um, one thing I really love about Elise and Girl on the Walls is she spends her time, you know, hiding in an attic space, uh, moving around to the walls. She's really good at hiding. Like, I wish I was as, as good at hiding as she is. She kind of makes an art out of it. It's an incredible thing to see how she, she maneuvers around this house and lives a life and is restricted in some ways, but also finds way to have joy, to, to make this a really fun experience. She likes hiding. Uh, yeah, the other book I've, I've been thinking about while you've been speaking as well is The Time Traveller's Wife by Audrey right. Nifaninga. Not so much, you know, in, in the style of the story, but the genre again, you know, that was initially when it was pitched. I'm thinking, what, time going back and forward, sci-fi, mm -hmm. oh, that's not for me. And mm -hmm. then you read it and you are just, I mean, I remember enjoying that book so thoroughly. Right. And I think it's it's because it's primarily about these kind of interactions that they're building. It's it's about And they're um, limited. They're in and out, right. you know. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And and I think that this is going to be timeless. I think that, you know, a oh, girl in the walls is going to live you. on for a very long time. Tell me how you got it published. I mean, how does you know, I mean that's huge, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm still suspicious, you know. I I think there's a lot It of is true. It is true. <laughs> <laughs> it really is uh, just, 
a little prosaic, I guess, in that I went to a MFA program and then I was able to get an agent. And then the agent, uh, uh, my, my agent, Susan Armstrong, she worked with me on edits for a while and, and then um, just kind of sent it out. And uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but um, my, my initial editor, Helen Gardens Williams, uh, I think she might have been sick that weekend. So she was reading at home. Um, and because she was in that situation she was in, she was able to read it when she regularly normally wouldn't have. And by that Monday, Monday she'd already preempted it. Yeah. Um, so it just felt very serendipitous, yeah. uh, all, all sorts of things, yeah. You know, it's the uniqueness, I think, of the storyline. I always say a good, a great book has the craft and the story, mm. you know, when those two meet, you know, and I've talked about that a little bit on the podcast because very often you might have one or the other and it's just not quite right. But this mm-hmm. is beautiful. It's a seamless point where the, you know, where the craft meets the fascinating and unique storyline and it really just comes together just like that it's a very well written book thank you and that's that's absolutely everything you could have wanted anyone who could want to hear uh, about the book um i think that's absolutely what i want is a compelling story that's also a delight to read that's that's inventive that's um surprising in its form and its its um style i think one thing that that helped me in the process of writing it, it, which sounds a little silly, but it's got incredibly short chapters. Um, they're just you know one or two pages. Um, they're named. I, was, I like know. that technique because the short chapter technique, as a reader, I quite like it because it's it gives it a sense of urgency sometimes, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that it the t- is that what you're trying to do? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was also trying to do these little small bites to trick myself that I wasn't writing a 300 page novel. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pick up on that. (laughs) It's like, no, it's just another really short story. Um, But yeah, I love reading books like that with incredibly short chapters because it feels like you're getting a lot done when you really just read three Mm -hmm. pages and you're like, yeah, I read three chapters. I did really Mm -hmm. well for myself. And at the same time, it was really nice as a writer to have these constant um, breaks where you can approach the story from a different angle because so much of Girl in the Walls, it's it's largely the perspective of a girl who's hiding around in a house, listening to this family living there while she's in the wall. So it's all these different angles that you're getting the story. Um, you'll get perspectives from, you know, like frogs at some point. It's constantly coming from different directions. Um, and it was an absolute delight because, I mean, a lot of what makes writing fun is the restrictions you play on it and the kind of create uh, you, you put on it and the creativity you have to have because of those restrictions and then having a perspective of someone in the walls. Okay. So you can't see what's going on. So what are the sounds that you hear? What are the smells that permeate this place? It, it was really a wonderful experience to kind of embody that place. And um, I know that um, girl in the walls is kind of a creepy book, but in some ways, it was really freeing for me in spending all this time with Elise, the girl on the walls. I am significantly less scared of those sounds in my house, at least for now. We'll see if that stays. But just there is this kind of feeling of like, oh, that's a that's a friend, you know, that that's that's not nearly as creepy and maybe no, what's no. creepier is, it definitely is had had it definitely has um more than creepy it's really it's a wonderful beautiful read and i'd say i mean to describe a gothic book as beautiful is you know i don't know <laughs> but it is um so w- tell me where you were when you found out that it it had sold and it was going oh, to be a book that is that's a, actually an interesting story uh, no one's ever asked me that so i was 
working as an, an on-site director for a summer camp, very academically gifted students. Um, there were about 200 students at, at this, this university, it's a sleepaway um, camp. And uh, it, as you can tell, when you have 215 year old kids and then 50 staff and you're kind of the go-to person, there's a lot of trips, late night trips to the hospital, a lot of calling parents and a lot of, you know, disasters and fires happening all the time uh, in many different directions. And getting the news in the middle of this where I already wasn't sleeping, I was sleeping like three hours a night and it was, my phone was going off all the time in the middle of the night, just different kind of things, but it was the great, great news, but also an extra added stress because it's like, oh, this awesome, amazing thing. And I have slept maybe nine hours in the last five days. <laughs> and, um, and it was absolutely thrilling. Um, I was up, you know, so much at night that I would, because it initially sold in the UK. So, you know, there's that time difference between the UK and, and Texas. So I would get these email update at four or five in the morning in the US and I would respond immediately and I think it was Helen Gardens Williams emailed me one time. It's like, Adam, go back to bed. Or AJ, go back to bed. I... <laughs> and were you running out to the kids saying, I got published? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned that to some of the kids. And they're like, great. That's cool. Uh, yeah. They're like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Cool. We're gonna play frisbee now. That's right. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Um, we've run out of time. AJ, such a pleasure to chat with you. Um, and have you noticed in. too that we've both got the same color on? It's it's a brilliant color. It's, it's it isn't. It? We have yeah, great taste. <laughs> we do. We both have great taste. But thank you so much. Incredibly interesting book. Congratulations. I mean, you know, wow. And I guess there'll be another one coming. That's that's. That's yeah, what's the goal is that? what we're working on. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Good, good, good. Because I hope to talk to you in a couple of years' time. I can't wait. I'd love to be back. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sharon. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.